Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week five, day one of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 13, 1 through 31. Well, welcome back to the 10-week Bible study podcast. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word to be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 13, starting in verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. <clears throat> Incidentally, when it says he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, we know that Herod the Tetrarch was essentially brought up in Rome, so it could be saying that he was brought up in Rome, whatever, wherever he was brought up, we know that he was a well-connected, political, wealthy family. All right, continue on. Uh, and Saul, verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called for which I've called them. Isn't that amazing? I love that they're, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're praying. And in the midst of that, the Lord speaks prophetically and says, set these two guys apart. <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas did not decide to go on a mission trip, right? This wasn't, um, do you feel led to, you know, lead the youth group on a, on a ski trip this, you know, th this spring break. That's not how this worked, right? This, like the Holy Spirit clearly is speaking, set these two apart for the work that I've called them to. Now, Paul has known, like he's, ha he's gotten these kinds of little prophetic words along the way. I mean, the very first thing that the Lord ever said to him through Ananias was, tell him, you're going to have to tell him how much he's going to suffer for my name. He's going to work. Like I've called him to this, right? So Paul, this is not a surprise to Paul or Saul at this point, excuse me. So I kind of wonder, had he ever told anybody about any of this? Did, did anybody besides maybe Barnabas know, did even Barnabas know what the Lord had spoken to him on that road of, to Damascus at this point? Um, but it's really, I, I, I love how the Lord speaks in the book of Acts. Remember in Acts chapter one, we cast lots and that's how people would hear from the Lord in the Old Testament. That's how they would, you know, kind of discern what the Lord was leading them to do. And that stops because the Lord is speaking like this. He's speaking like he spoke to the prophets of the Old Testament. He's doing it for so many people in the New Testament. This is such a powerful reality. Verse three. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Now remember, Barnabas is from Cyprus, so they're going somewhere where Barnabas already knows, right? He's taking the gospel back to his people and he's taking Saul with him. Verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. That's uh, Mark, by the way. John Mark is the one we're talking about there as their helper. Verse six, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. 
Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. All right, so this is powerful, right? So you've got this this witchcraft, diviner, sorcerer, or however this is working. And, and don't assume that it's like, well, he was into trickery and it's all sleight of hand. It's not real. No, this guy's like full of demons. And so his sorcery, all of this, whatever he's able to do is probably real. It's probably impressive. It's probably, wow, like this guy can do crazy supernatural things. Like this is real. This is very, very real what's going on here. And so the proconsul, he's already obviously into supernatural things. And so he hears Barnabas and, and Saul come and is like, I want to hear you guys. Now, a little aside, it tells us right there that he changes his name from Saul to Paul. I, most scholars don't think that this is any kind of supernatural or any spiritual thing. This is Paul now. He understands, the Lord has spoken this to him several times, is that he's sending him to the Gentiles. Saul is a Jewish name. It's a very, like in, in the ancient world, Saul would have sounded very, very Jewish. And so it was very common for people in that day, apparently, to use market names. Let's say that. They'd use names that sounded more easy on the palate for whatever people group they're in. It's not like they're trying to hide that they're Jewish. It's just sometimes it's either easier to say or it's easier to understand. Uh, if you've ever met someone who's moved from China to the United States and you ask them their name, they might tell you John or Paul or Stephen. Their name is not John or Paul or Stephen, almost certainly, right? They, they have their Chinese name that Americans are just going to butcher. Like we can't speak... Chinese. And so when we try and say Chinese names, we just absolutely demolish them. And so, so many people, when they come over to the United States, they kind of adopt an American sounding name. One, so they, they think they'll fit in a little bit better. And so it's easier to say their name. It's easier for us to remember things like that. So this is essentially what Paul's doing is he's, cho- he's choosing a, a Greek name that's going to be easier for them to remember, probably falls off their tongue a little bit better, all of those kinds of things. Again, I don't think it's anything super spiritual. It's just him basically identifying with the call that the Lord has given him and kind of leaning into that. There's nothing necessarily right or wrong about this. It's just him, I think, making it easier for him to exist amongst Gentiles. Uh, Verse 12, okay, and so the guy gets blinded, right? Paul says the Lord's going to bring blindness over you. And Paul's thinking like, I know a little something about this. I know a lot of something about this. I mean, this is exactly what happened to Paul. And here he is proclaiming it over someone else. I, I think that's just really amazing. Verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. I like, I find this very interesting, right? It, it was, it's the teaching of the Lord that, that turns his heart. It's the the miraculous kind of sign thing where the guy becomes blind when Paul said he was. That's what gets his attention. 
but he believes because of the teaching of the Lord, right? People don't, the Lord, I, I fully believe the Lord loves to, to perform miracles, signs and wonders. He does it all throughout scripture. That's, it's powerful. It gets people's attention, but that cannot draw them. It can't, it's not life sustaining. The knowledge of God, knowing him, being taught about God, and then leaning into that, reading for ourselves, getting to know him, uh, reading the Bible, prayer, walking with the Lord. That's what sustains us. That's what uh, draws us to him, right? Miracles, they get our attention. They, they stir us emotionally. They move us. But it's the teaching of the Lord. That's the, the powerful component here. That's what changes people's lives forever is when they encounter him through his word and, 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 and through, you know, meeting him personally, that's what changes people. The, the miracles, signs, and wonders, they're powerful. But I mean, think about even Jesus, he performed all sorts of miracles, signs, and wonders, yet they rejected his teaching. And so they rejected him, right? So they can get people's attention. It's almost like you can you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? You have to have a heart of humility. You have to be open to receiving the word of the Lord. And so the proconsul here is. We're going to see throughout Paul's ministry, there's going to be lots of signs and wonders. And sometimes they lead to massive conversions. And sometimes they lead to him getting stoned and riots and things like that because people reject the teaching of God. It's, it's, it's the teaching of the Lord. It's the teaching about Jesus. That's the most important thing. The word of God. Remember in earlier in Acts, even the apostles were like, pour out signs and wonders. We need miracles, signs and wonders. We need these demonstrations of Holy Spirit power, but they asked for it for the purpose of making them bold to speak the word. It's speaking the word, preaching the word. That's the thing that changes lives for eternity. But but the the signs and wonders, they give us that boldness. They give Christians that boldness and they they pop people's eyes open to say, hey, something's going on here, right? They're, they're, they're powerful, but it's the word of God that's the most important thing. Verse 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now that little thing right there, John Mark leaving them in Perga is going to cause Paul and Barnabas some trouble later on. Incidentally, I've been to Perga. Uh, it's a really, really beautiful ancient ruined city. It's actually inland and there was a, a, a river canal that was dug to the city of Perga to make it a port. It's something like 10 miles, five miles north of the Mediterranean Sea, but they, it was actually navigable to port in Perga at that time. It's not anymore, but but at that time you could. It's a beautiful city, had a, a, a like a mile and a half long uh, main walkway through the city that kind of winds the city. It's It's been kind of rebuilt and there was water. There was a, an aqueduct that came down to this beautiful fountain and then this this kind of goddess statue, the water would flow was like she was pouring out the water into this kind of channel that flowed down through the center of the city. And so people could get fresh water flowing right through the center of the city. And there were marble, there's a marble, um, walkway with colonnades and a market that lined the whole thing. I can't even imagine how beautiful a city this was, but I've, I've been there and it's, it's really amazing. And so this is where Mark leaves them. It's kind of their entry point into what we would call modern, it's modern day Turkey now. Um, all right. Verse 14, 
From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. Verse 15, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. Now, this is John the Baptist, by the way. He's, taught, he's, he's, he's stepped away from the biblical story and narrative he was uh, speaking of, and now he's talking about, he's going to talk about Jesus and John the Baptist. Verse 24, before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. So Paul is laying out, he's in the synagogue, and we're going to see that Paul's kind of modus operandi is he's going to go first. Everywhere he goes, he's going to go to the synagogue. And almost everywhere they're going to reject him, and then he's going to go to the Gentiles. But he always goes first to the Jews. He always kind of follows this pattern as first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So this is all in the synagogue. And, you know, he is a rabbi, right? He is actually a Pharisee, a rabbi. He's a teacher. Not exactly sure. We're, you know, I don't think Barnabas uh, was a trained rabbi or anything like that. Barnabas is essentially in charge. He's like kind of the, the leader of this missionary campaign. But Paul is is uh, a bit the speaker and at times and, 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 you know, he is a trained rabbi, so he would have a place to go and speak in the synagogue like this, where maybe Barnabas wouldn't. And so Paul gets up and, he, and he's, and, and, and the way it would work is if you were a rabbi and you showed up at someone else's synagogue, they'd be like, hey, uh, you're from somewhere else. Do you have anything to, to share with us, to exhort us with? Do you have anything, right? Because uh, even when you're studying scriptures and reading things, you can get a little bit, um, uh, as they say, inbred in the academic circles. If you only have the thoughts from the people around you, you don't 
really think outside the box. And so when other people come from other places, like, what do you have to share with us? Maybe you see something differently than we've ever seen because you're from somewhere else. You may have a different perspective. So it's very common for them to do that in the synagogues at that time. We'll see that almost everywhere Paul goes, they ask him because he's from somewhere else. They ask him to speak. We don't, academia likes to do that. Some, some churches do that, but we've, I think we've lost a little bit of that in the church. And I think we could probably use a little bit more cross pollination amongst streams, denominations, amongst, uh, even within denominations, people from different areas and parts of the world, I think it would be very helpful to, to hear from other people and cross pollinate on a, on a more frequent basis so that we don't, our ideas don't get so inbred, if you will. So that's what's going on here. All right, that's Paul's sermon. Luke is not going to give us the details of a lot of Paul's sermons from here on out, but he's he's probably giving us a synopsis of probably something Paul is going to say on a regular basis wherever he goes. Is he's laying out that Jesus is this son of David. He is the Messiah that was to come from the line of David. And that's the whole point behind all this. That's where he's going with it. All right, for the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. And I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast. And my heart is for people to fall in love with God's word. Thank you.